The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or our Twitter handle at kicking out two, along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to a post-Labor Day edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all for pressing play and download, liking, rating, and subscribing this podcast as a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since uh, I've gotten behind the mic and I've chopped it up with all of you guys. Last episode that we recorded was the, uh, the Dennis J. Levy SummerSlam Wildcard Edition. This episode, I'm going to go uh, take a break from the retro and talk about a few things that happened in the wrestling world while we were away. So as you press the play, you press the play to the while we were away episode. And uh, a lot took place while we were away. Um, full disclosure, you know, because I like to be honest with you guys, um, you know, I, I just, it was summertime and had some personal stuff going on. Nothing bad, but, you know, just wanted some time to myself. And I figured that, you know, um, it would be best if, you know, just took a little break, a little reset, if you will. But, you know, we plan to continue business as usual here on Kicking Out of Two. And so I thought it would be uh, a good idea to, to take a break and a reset and uh, come back to you guys fresh, energized, ready to rock and roll. So, um, yeah, this episode here, I want to talk about a few things that took place in the wrestling world a couple weeks ago um a lot of big things took place uh you know terry funk passing away i'll get to that in a minute the untimely passing of bray wyatt uh aew all in from wembley the the, that show itself as well as the the drama behind the scenes that took place involving cm punk that eventually led to his suspension which then resulted in him being fired just recently um so on and so forth and uh yeah um a lot to unpack, a lot to, to talk about here. So uh, looking forward to chopping it up with you guys. And thank you also very much. If you're looking for archive shows as a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, then like, rate, subscribe, review us on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W or on any podcast platform available by searching Retromania. We have Marking Out the Days with Kobe and myself. We have Cool Truth with AC and the gang. They talk about current day stuff. Um, and they, they kind of throw it back a little bit, um, but not too much. Uh, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, um, all kinds of great bonus content over there on the feed. Uh, search Retromania with a W. You can find all the shows, as well as this show, Kicking Out It Too. So, uh, yeah, um, like, rate, subscribe, review. Uh, I've been looking at the archives. A lot of guys have been digging into the archives, so I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the, uh, the downloads. Uh, had some pretty solid uh, weeks in the last uh, couple of months when it came to downloads itself. So I, I greatly appreciate it, and I'm sure Kobe does as well. Um, all right, let's get into it here. Um, first, I wanted to share my thoughts on the passing of Terry Funk. Terry Funk passed away just a couple of weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, his health had been failing him in recent in recent weeks. He was in a assisted living facility um, for the remainder of his life. Um, he just had a birthday um, not too long ago, That's, and he passed away at 79 years old. Um, Terry Funk regarded universally by, by 
many people in the industry as the greatest of all time. Um, I'll be honest with you. I didn't share that same sentiment regarding him, and that's no disrespect to him and what he's contributed and brought to the business and paved the way for so many people. Um, maybe because I didn't grow up with a lot of Terry Funk, like a lot of the guys in the industry, like the Tommy Dreamers and the Mick Foley's and the the Bully Rays and you know names like that. But um, my first introduction to Terry Funk was when he was a part of the WWF during the 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 boom of the rock and wrestling era, managed by Jimmy Hart. Um, I remember the first time my my earliest recollection of Terry Funk was the LJN action figure. Uh, the rubber dolls, and uh, I was fascinated with cowboys. Um, not sure why. Didn't really watch a whole lot of cowboy movies or TV shows. Like my father was a big John Wayne guy, but I never really watched any of that stuff. But for whatever reason, I was into cowboys. And um, as a kid, I wouldn't say I was fascinated with Terry Funk, but my first introduction to him, I thought you know he was pretty cool looking. And for you know, I, I've said this before. There's been guys that I have liked and I've enjoyed watching over the years based solely on their action figure. Just my introduction to them would be the action figure. So like, for instance, I said this on the pilot episode of Kicking Out at Two. One of my favorite action figures of all time is the Arn Anderson Galoob action figure. Just the way it's shaped and the way it looks. And I'm a big fan of Arn Anderson. He's one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest of all time. I'm sure a lot of people feel that same way. But um I, I had that same fascination with Terry Funk. Um, not to the degree where he was in my top five or on my list of favorites, but I, I dug the the way the the toy was poseable and the way it looked. And so um, then Terry Funk would eventually move on. I didn't catch a whole lot of his Japan stuff. Um, he would move on to WCW, and I got to see him involved in rivalry with Ric Flair in 1989. That was a lot of fun. Um one of the greatest kickstarts to an angle of all time when he was the judge of the Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat match at Wrestle War 89. And then following that match, he beat the shit out of Ric Flair, pile drove him through a table. Um, that was some fun stuff. Um, like, I didn't catch a lot of his ECW stuff, maybe because ECW wasn't available to me at the time. Um, during that time period, I wasn't even aware it existed in 1993, 1994. Um, but eventually I would see him in WCW resurface again as a part of Colonel Parker's stud stable. He kind of revived that rivalry with Dusty Rhodes through Dusty's son Dustin, which was some pretty fun stuff. Um, and then eventually Funk would make his return um, through the WWF. I mean, like I said, he went to ECW, didn't catch a whole lot of that. Um, I saw some of that stuff through the Beyond the Map movie, and then eventually I watched it years later. But... Um, the Chainsaw Charlie stuff was a lot of fun with Mick Foley. I really dug that stuff. And then even some of his late WCW 2000 stuff uh, when he was kind of competing in the hardcore division. Th that, that was some pretty fun stuff as well. I said this on this podcast once to Dennis, and I'm going to kind of have to walk it back. I, I said it earlier. I never really shared that sentiment that he was one of the greatest of all time. I don't know if it's because I didn't grow up with him or what I, I, I he just didn't connect with me in that way. But... I'm going to walk that comment back because after watching some stuff of him recently, um, what makes him, in my opinion, one of the greatest of all time, and I can understand why now, uh, I'll, I'll gladly admit I was wrong in this, but I'll understand why now so many people are feel the way they do about Terry Funk in that GOAT conversation. It's because he was as real as it got. 
you know, in an industry where those guys protected the business and people questioned the industry and the legitimacy of it and the the physical aspects of it, Terry Funk was real. Terry Funk was as real as it got. I mean, he he's one of the, you know, Till recently, he was one of the last three of the traveling NWA World Champions. My brother Justin actually brought that point up to me. It was it was him, Dory, his brother Dory Funk Jr., and Ric Flair. Now it's just Flair and Dory Funk. All the great traveling NWA champions are no longer with us. Funk, Dusty, uh, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, uh, those guys um, that really helped build the body of the NWA and the business itself. Um, Funk was a part of that as well. And so Funk just made it so real. He made it look so real. Maybe because he felt that it was real. Um, the physical aspect, just his, his, his character, the way he carried himself. And a lot of people have said over the years, and you know, we've seen it, how selfless he was. And how much he gave back to the industry and wanted to help make guys. Paul Heyman has said ECW wouldn't have reached the heights it did without Terry Funk helping get the, the promotion to that level with his association, the things he did for Tommy Dreamer, the things he did for Raven, um, helping make them household names in the wrestling world uh, in the 90s. Um, yeah, Terry Funk, uh, unfortunately, like I said, he passed away. His, his health had been failing him in recent memory. And um, I, I had read he was surrounded by loved ones, one of the all-time greats. You go out of your way, if there's, a, if there's a Terry Funk match I can recommend for you, there's a couple, but if there's a Terry Funk match I can recommend from you that I really enjoyed personally, I would have to say it was the, um, the I Quit match from the New York Knockout Clash of Champions in November of 1989 against Ric Flair. Uh, the, the angle they did, with, like I said, kick-started when he was the judge after the Steamboat Flair Wrestle War match, and that kicked things off. And then it continued. Gary Hart was... Funk's manager and Muda was a, a, a part of that stable, that alliance, and they went after Flair. That's how Sting kind of got introduced into the mix as well. Um, remember some of that stuff, the Thunderdome cage from Halloween Havoc 89, which Dennis and I did a watch along of that in the archives if you want to go check it out. Uh, fun there. But um, yeah, Flair, Funk, New York Knockout 1989. One of the things I wasn't, I, I didn't recall all taking place during that and I would find out years later was they did an angle on TBS where Terry Funk interfered in a match involving Ric Flair against one of um, this dude's, uh, Gary Hart's uh, stable member. I think it was Dick Slater and Muda against Sting and Flair. And Gary Hart was the manager and Funk was supposed to be part of the tag match but they had an angle on TV where somehow he didn't make it or something. I forget exactly what it was. And Funk comes out on TV and makes a surprise appearance, attacks Flair, and then takes a plastic shopping bag and puts it over his head. Um, a lot of people have said that they that he kind of went too far, but man, Funk was just he he was he he put everything into what he did in in those angles and in the ring and the plastic bag thing with Flair. I wouldn't say it was tasteless. I didn't mind it. Okay, a lot of people thought it was it was bad for business and it, w it wasn't necessary. But Funk just kind of really ramped up the heat with Flair, and maybe some people thought he took it a little too far. Um, but yeah, that New York knockout match, a lot of fun. Stu it, I'm sure a lot of you guys that listen um, 
Remember the stuff he did with Mick Foley in Japan. Stuff I hadn't seen a whole lot of. I saw a couple of their death matches, and I'm not a big death match guy, but you know, you got to commend these guys for mutilating their bodies for our entertainment. So, uh, Terry Funk, uh, one of the all time greats in our industry, guy that really paved the way for so many people in the industry. Conrad Thompson said it best. Terry Funk is your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. And he couldn't be any more right because there's so many guys in the industry that showed high praise for Terry Funk uh, a couple of weeks ago when he passed and shared some great stories about him, uh, his selfless nature and what he gave to the industry and what he meant to the industry. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't say anything else more other than one of the all-time greats will truly be missed. Uh, there'll never be another one like him. He may be duplicated, you know, through guys like John Moxley, uh, but he will never, there will never ever be another Terry Funk in this industry ever again. And uh, may he rest in peace. Um, and unfortunately, following Terry Funk's passing, uh, oh, before I pivot to that, allow me to recommend you, I'm a regular listener of this podcast, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce and Conrad did a tribute episode just last week for Terry Funk after Terry Funk had passed. And man, I'll tell you, you know, not every episode Bruce does is a home run, okay? Uh, but this was one of his best of all time. This episode, the episodes he did on TNA Wrestling, the Dusty Rhodes episode, which is his first one, the Houston Wrestling episode, which is one of my all-time favorites, um, one of the most downloaded episodes they ever did. But this Terry Funk episode... The tribute that, that that Bruce paid to him and the stories that he had growing up um, in Texas, how he met Funk and how he worked with Funk in the business, just unbelievable stuff. Bruce really poured his heart out into it. So if you are a Terry Funk fan and you want to hear a, a fitting tribute to the man, uh, go check out Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, um, the Terry Funk tribute episode that, that uh, dropped last week. I'm sure you can figure out where to find that one. That's one of the, the more uh, popular podcasts in the, the wrestling in the wrestling space. Um, now we pivot. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they say death comes in three. Well, in wrestling, it came in two because the following day, the wrestling world received a shocking announcement that Bray Wyatt, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Wyndham Rotunda, had passed away. WWE superstar Bray Wyatt. Uh, that one floored me. Okay, I'll be perfectly honest with you. That one really floored me. And it was one of the, you know, every, no doubt, every wrestler that has passed away since I've been a fan, you know, it's, it, it's been unfortunate, whether it's been untimely, whether they had just had failing health and they had gotten older and they passed or, you know, whatever. It, every wrestler death has been unfortunate. But there's been a few in my life that really hit me hard where I was, upset and just sad over the circumstances and uh, you know Razor Ramon Scott Hall being one of them Owen Hart was a big one for me growing up uh, when he passed away Randy Savage uh, Dusty Piper Bobby the Brain Heenan but this Bray this one with Bray Wyatt really um, struck me um, I was home and I was just scrolling through uh, Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. It's still fucking Twitter to me. I don't care. And I had <laughs> I had seen a, a, a tweet or a 
post. So I'm gonna still, oh, you know what? Fuck that. You, you know what it is. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna still call it Twitter till I stop, till I feel like not calling it Twitter anymore. Fucking Elon Musk. Give me a break. Um, I saw a tweet posted by Triple H, and I was, you know, it said that you know we received unfortunate news from WWE legend Mike Rotundo that his son. Bray Wyatt, a.k.a. Wyndham Rotunda, had unexpectedly passed away. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. You know, the, the, the traditional um, rest in peace tweet, if you will, unfortunately. Um, and I did a double take. And it's very cliche, uh, the term double take. But I did a double take. And I went to go, I went and checked if it was like a, a fake account. You know, because there's plenty of guys that go out there and pretend to be somebody and you can even I guess on Twitter you, you're able to even like some people have been able to like put fake blue check marks that they're verified accounts um, I know it's a thing that's what I've heard and so I don't have blue check mark by the way I don't really give a shit to have blue check mark okay I'm on Twitter for fun um, just like I do this podcast and so I checked the account and I was like floored and then not long after that I went on you know other forms of social media and it just spread and I was just like I said I was floored I told my wife my wife was like no way she was like what happened and nothing broke at that time um at that time there was no news but it was just it was so sad to me um I was I had wanted so badly to see Wyndham Rotundo aka Bray Wyatt Bounce back, because he'd been off WWE TV for a while. The last time fans saw him was the go-home episode of SmackDown before Elimination Chamber, and he had kind of cemented his status in the WrestleMania build um, with Bobby Lashley. And, and unfortunately, they didn't have that match due to a medical issue that Bray had been dealing with. And so I wanted so badly for him to come back and really get this, this reset of a run you know, since he was rehired and re-signed with WWE in October of 2022, almost a year ago, I was just hanging on by a thread to see this guy get, I wouldn't say a proper run, but a better run than he had when he was, before he got released in July of 2021. And we'll talk about that at a later date. Dennis and I plan to do a proper tribute. We want to take some time. Let it breathe. Really, you know, take some notes for this one. Not just fly by the seat of our pants. Uh, I'm probably looking to do that sometime in May of 2024, right around Bray's birthday. So, um, that's something that I that I plan to 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 do uh, because, without a doubt, he was one of the most creative forces in all of wrestling um, with what he brought to us as you know to the fans with, with his multiple incarnations but um it would then be revealed later through sean ross sap of fightful that he was allowed to report on this that bray had um covid earlier in the year right around the time when wwe pulled him off the road and therefore the covid getting covid19 um had kind of um, re-aggravated some 
ongoing issues he had with his heart. To what extent, I don't know. Um, and then TMZ would later reveal that um, that Bray Wyatt had a heart defibrillator that the doctors had suggested that he wear. And Bray told his wife, Jojo Offerman, that he would be taking a nap. And when she felt he was taking a nap for too long, she went to go check on him and he wasn't breathing. And he passed away in his sleep. And police report determines that that defibrillator that he was um, recommended to wear by the doctor was left in his car in the driveway of their home. Um, just very unfortunate. Very, you know, something that could have been avoided that had he taken the advice of the doctors to wear it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that um, I've never disobeyed a doctor's order. Um, more recently, in the last few months, I had gained a little bit of weight, and I was um, I went to go see pulmonologist because I was snoring and I kept my wife up all the time and uh, she wanted me to go get a sleep study and it turned out I had a mild case of sleep apnea and um, it was like a blow to my ego because you know I'm 40 and I'm getting older and you know I'm not the spring chicken I once was in my 20s and I thought you know I was invincible in some regards and so from time to time, you know, I've had it for a few months. For the most part, I wear the mask and I've gotten adjusted to it. But every once in a while, um, I've fallen asleep without putting the mask on and I won't put the mask on for the night. And um, then there's some times where I have the mask on and I look at my statistics and I see that, you know, I've had four and a half events per hour in, a, in an eight hour period of sleeping. So then I kind of put myself back into reality and just realized like, oh, shit, I should probably wear the mask. So... I understand um, from that aspect and from that perspective um, maybe why he didn't want to wear the defibrillator. Um, to me, there was just so much left for him on the table to really um, sink his teeth into creatively and really kind of get like a redemption of a run in WWE. Um, you know, before his departure in 2021, he had had some ups and downs with injuries and creative issues. And there had been stories that Vince had not really taken a liking to him. And, you know, some people within creative didn't understand the character. Um, and he felt like he was creatively um, neutered at times. Um, you know, and I'll get into all of that stuff when Dennis and I do our, our, our tribute uh, in the spring of next year. But... To me, I was just, I, I, I was sad for him as a performer because you could tell by his creativity and what he put into all of these characters how much he loved to perform. He dared to be different and push the boundaries when it came to presentation in sports entertainment and professional wrestling. He was, he was one of those guys that, like, he really pushed the envelope um, and made you... He, he, he made you explore areas of professional wrestling that others dared not to do. Um, perfect example being the that COVID WrestleMania it's a couple of years ago where they had the WrestleMania in the warehouse in Orlando and they had the Firefly Funhouse 
with him and John Cena. And they, as John Cena once said in the documentary, sometimes you got to break the rules to entertain them and throw that logic out the window. And they did that. And it was one of the highlights of that WrestleMania. And I'll get more into that over time um, with the Bray Wyatt tribute. But um, I watched the video, the, the tribute that they did for him on, on SmackDown. They did like a combined tribute for him and Terry Funk, but they did that video tribute for him and... WWE just knows how to knock it out of the park when it comes to stuff like that because they had both me and my wife crying while we were watching it. Um, pictures you see with him and his children, his wife. Um, he had a couple kids from a previous marriage. Um, just 36 years old, so sad. Really just sad that um, he was taken from his family and from all of us at a very young age. And that, to me, that's one of the ones that really stings for me because I, I try to understand on a human level, and it, and it makes and it kind of checks my ego a little bit with my when it comes to my health too. Now I don't know exactly the specifics surrounding his heart condition. Okay, I'm not going to speculate like a lot of people do, especially the the, the 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 those burner accounts on social media that claim to be, you know news and dirt sheets um they tried to blame bray maybe getting the covid shot as to why he had a heart condition heart issue uh, I'm, th that's not what this platform's about it's not what i'm here to do um but i do want to close out this portion of the, the the podcast by saying that um bray wyatt was well on his way to becoming one of the all-time greats and really cementing his legacy in the business. Um, he already has in many ways, but um, he's one of those guys that, like, that you know, they, they, they break the mold with certain guys, and he was one of those guys. They broke the mold with him, and I don't think there will be anybody like him that will be ever be as creative um, when it comes to their presentation ever again like him. Um, so um, Bray Wyatt a.k.a. Wyndham Rotundo. Uh, my thoughts are with your family, your wife, your children, um, your loved ones, those that had worked with him um, that were affected by his loss. There were a lot of video tri testimonial tributes that WWE had put out on their social media accounts from people like um, Gals and Anderson, the Good Brothers, uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Otis, Bailey, uh, Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, um, some really touching tributes uh, that I suggest you guys go out and uh, take a uh, take a look at because it really shows who he was. Wyndham Rotundo is the man, not the Bray Wyatt performer, but Wyndham Rotundo is the man and what he meant to all of them. Um, so go check that out. Uh, Bray Wyatt, a.k.a. Wyndham Rotundo, may you rest in peace. Gone, but truly never will be forgotten. Um, and to try to bounce back from that, unfortunately, we're going to talk about something else negative um, in the wrestling space. Uh, that being the, the drama that is going on, that has been going on the last couple of weeks within AEW. Um, first and foremost, I caught the Wembley show all in. And I must say, it was probably their best show to date that they ever put out. 
Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm a, I'm a mark for stadium shows. So much so that I did a, a podcast a couple of years ago. This podcast, kicking out at two to be exact, called um, Blue Skies Wrestling, where I talked about outdoor, open air, stadium shows, and my favorites and the history of some of those shows um, over the years. So you can go check that out in the archives. But I was, re- I was really enamored by the presentation. Um, very impressed. 81,035 people, highest paid attendance for a wrestling event. Now, let me just talk to you about that for just a minute, okay? Um, there had been some rumblings going into the show, whether Tony Khan and AEW, I'm not going to just single out Tony Khan, I'll just say AEW in general, if they were going to be able to break the, the SummerSlam attendance record from 1992 there, and if they were going to be able to break the um, attendance record for the Dallas WrestleMania in 2016. Now, the Dallas WrestleMania had like 101,000 and some change, right? That's what they announced on television, okay? AEW announced at their pay-per-view that they did 81,035 paid attendance. It's all about how you present it, okay? Is there a... My, now, my both of my brothers were at that WrestleMania, okay? And they obviously, you know, they're not counting every person that's walking in the building. But when they look around, they see, man, there's a lot of fucking people in here. And you have to wonder... Maybe there was 100,000 people in here. You know, who knows? It's been disputed that the original number of paid was like 96,000 or something like that. And that the other 5,000 people were staff, parking attendants, the performers, the people, that the guests of WWE. Okay. So they inflated the number. All right. And people over the years have tried to question it, and that's fine. You can do that. Um, WrestleMania three apparently only had seventy eight thousand people, according to Dave Meltzer. Um, and so there was that controversy, that tribalism yet again. I'll say this: um, eighty one thousand thirty five people is impressive, and I applaud AEW. Okay, you went into an international market for the very first time and you filled up that entire stadium without virtually a card announced. And there had been some rumblings of fans' disappointment in the fact that they didn't hype a bigger card going into the event. With really like two and a half weeks, they pretty much threw the card together. And from what they put together, it was a pretty solid show. Um, And it was just impressive to see the, 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 the amount of people in that stadium, the energy they brought... And their excitement for AEW, you know, UK fans, that, that, that those European crowds, they don't get a lot of wrestling from the States over there on a regular basis. So I had a feeling that they were going to turn out really well. I thought that at the very least they would have had in between 60 and 70,000. And they had already tripled. The, with that number, they had already tripled what their their highest attended event was, which was, I believe, the very first show at Arthur Ashe Stadium a couple of years ago with uh, Omega and Danielson um, as the as the main event of that show. A dynamite, I believe. Excuse me. And so, um, <clears throat> that was already a win for them. And then they continued to just, more tickets, more tickets. And the, the, what, one of the cool things about it was, was the fact that on the secondary market, you know, most of these big stadium shows, not just wrestling, but like concerts, Taylor Swift, Metallica, um, a lot of 
professional sports games like football and soccer, you get a lot of tickets on the secondary market. A lot of scalpers just reselling tickets, jacking the prices up. There was roughly 15, over 1,500 tickets on the secondary market for All In. The other 80,000 of those tickets were people that were actually going to go to the event. Okay? So that's impressive. And I applaud AEW for that. Okay? They took advantage and went to a market that doesn't get a whole lot of wrestling stateside, and they filled up that stadium. And the show they presented was probably one, probably the best show they've done to date, best pay-per-view they've done to date, okay? Um, and what fans should have been marveling over was the success of that show. And instead, that show was marred by controversy over the drama that took place behind the scenes involving CM Punk and Jack Perry. Now I'll get to that in a minute, okay? Let me just tell you what I liked about the show. I thought FTR and the Young Bucks were probably the match of the night, okay? I'm a big FTR guy. I could really care less about the Young Bucks. They're not my cup of tea, but when they work with certain tag teams, I enjoy watching their matches. Them and FTR, they just have great chemistry. It's very similar to the Usos and New Day. They had great chemistry as well and created some magic as tag teams, all right? That will go down as probably one of the, the, the best tag team rivalries of the modern era of wrestling, okay? They really helped make tag team wrestling important in AEW, the two teams, when they faced each other. I thought that match was a hell of a match. Hell of a match. Um... The coffin match with Sting and Darby Allen against Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage. A lot of fun. Seeing Sting come out, wrestle in front of a crowd that size at his age, at this stage in his career. Pretty damn cool. Okay, um, I must say, Sting's run has been nothing special in terms of like match quality. But when Sting's in a, in a, in a big-time big situation... And he, he goes all out, and he definitely did in that match with some of the stuff he was doing the, the over the top through a table, and uh, he was wearing like a, a barbed wire or a thumbtack-laced bomber jacket and doing stinger splashes and stuff he was doing, the bumps he was taking. Um, very cool. I, I think Sting and the Darby Allen pairing has been a lot of fun, um, and they don't overexpose Sting. Sting is treated with respect as a legend on the show, and they Sting does Sting's presentation with the Darby Allen doesn't overshadow Darby Allen. Okay, now poor little Darby Allen, he might not be around for very much longer if he keeps taking the crazy fucking bumps he does. Holy cow! Especially in that match, that was a lot of fun. Another thing about that match too, adding Christian to the to the match at the last minute, replacing Ar Fox. Okay, which I'm not really too familiar with Ar Fox. I know. Go ahead, Indy Marks. Hang me. I really don't care. Um, I thought Christian, he's, Christian is like, I wouldn't say he's, he's been spending some time at the Fountain of Youth, but um, he's been showing these guys how to work in his, in, during his time in AEW, not just on the mic, but in the ring as well. Christian, to me, is one of the most underrated performers of all time. He's like on that Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson level, where Christian was a major missed opportunity in the main event scene in WWE. He had a cup of coffee with Randy Orton, and that was some fun stuff, okay? I thought they were going to capitalize on that. They did not. And 
I thought Christian's run in the main event in WWE, I, I feel like Edge overshadowed him, and Edge is a, a hell of a performer, okay? I'll talk about him in a minute, all right? But Christian is just as good. And bell to bell, oh my goodness, one of the best, one of the absolute best. And while we were gone, I'll, I'll kind of pivot to Edge now that I just mentioned him. Um, you know, the, 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 the 25 year celebration ahead of his hometown in Toronto, his wife and kids were there. Sheamus was there. Or, I'm sorry, he had the match with Sheamus there. Hell of a match with Sheamus. If that's how Edge wants to go out, I have no problem with it. Um, very fitting way for him to end his career against the guy that it comes full circle. It turns out Sheamus was the one that convinced Edge to try to make this comeback based off of a bike ride they had in the mountains in North Carolina where Edge lives and Edge fell off the bike and he had a helmet on and he took a bump and he felt fine. And Seamus thought, you know, this is a way to kind of introduce um, you back into the mix and see if you can, you can do this again. And so um, they had that match. It was a hell of a match. I hate to use the term banger because I've been using banger before Seamus was using banger. I'm sorry. I just have. And I think now it's just been beaten to death. But they had a hell of a match. And if that's the way Edge wants to go out, I'd be fine with that too. I really would. Selfishly, I'd love to see him have a send-off at like a WrestleMania, okay? Or, or maybe a Royal Rumble of some sorts, some, a big event. But if he wanted to do it in Toronto and he wanted to go out the way he did, uh, I'd have no problem with it. Now, there had been rumors that, you know, his contract is up. WWE might have offered him an extension. And... AEW might be on the radar. I personally don't believe it, okay? I think everything he wanted to do, he wanted to accomplish that in WWE. Sure, would Tony Khan break out the Brinks truck for him and offer him big money to come in and have a couple of major matches and maybe work like one TV every couple of months? Sure. But I think that would tarnish his legacy, to be quite honest with you. Not saying that in a disrespectful manner to AEW, but... I just, I just think the way he left that show in Toronto, like I don't think that there could be anything else that tops that with the exception of like going out one last time at a WrestleMania, okay? So I don't think he's going anywhere. If anything, I think he will stick around and maybe do a couple of more matches. Um, I know that he had expressed interest in what he said recently – that he expressed interest wanting to work with like Riddle and Sami Zayn. So maybe we'll see something like that with him down the line in WWE. But I don't think he's going anywhere. I think I think next year's WrestleMania will probably be the, well, at best, will probably be the last match for him. Because um, he said it to the Toronto crowd after the show went off the air. I don't know if I got another year of this in me, physically. So um, we'll see what happens there. But. Let's back. Let's pivot back to all all in in Wembley, okay? Um, what I liked about it, and then I'll get into all the CM Punk drama and everything that stemmed from that as well. Um, I liked that tag match with FTR and, and Young Bucks. I thought it was a hell of a match. I thought the um, the 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 coffin match was great. Talked about that as well. Uh, I really enjoyed the MJF Adam Cole match. Um, the tag team I wasn't really too thrilled with, but as a, as a pairing and the things that they've been doing building up to All In, it grew on me. And then the 
they've kind of taken a page out of WWE's book with the with the long term storytelling and the the cinematic nature of their nuances in on within their interactions on TV, and it's just been really good stuff. Um, I expected a finish where Adam Cole was going to turn on MJF and he would leave with the belt, but um, I don't have a, I didn't have a problem with the finish that we saw with MJF picking up the win and them still being Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, which they won earlier in the night on the the, 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 the pre-show uh, against Aussie Open. And so, um, yeah, I I thought that those were the highlights for me for All In. Um, and just the crowd and the energy. I'm not saying that everything else wasn't good um, because I think overall it was one of their best shows they ever put out, ever. And they're going to go back next year and hopefully they don't you know, kill the market by overexposing that area. But I think the UK crowd will still be very accepting of them. Um, and I look forward to seeing what they bring next year when it comes to All In in 2024. Now let's discuss the drama that is... CM Punk from AEW All In just a couple of weeks ago in Wembley. Wembley, excuse me. Um, the match with Samoa Joe, I'll just go on record saying, was a hell of a way to open the show. Um, they really brought it, and probably one of my favorite CM Punk matches from this run in AEW, even though he's not really had a whole lot because of injuries and suspension from last year etc etc so anyways let's fast let's rewind back just a little bit because it was around this time last year when i did a labor day scrum and i talked about the 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 scrum from all out 2022 when punk aired his grievances and then he had a physical altercation with omega and the bucks and it stemmed from something that had to do with adam page and Ace Steele, who worked for AEW behind the scenes at the time, he somehow was involved, and then CM Punk's dog was involved, and then somebody got bit, and the whole nine, and Punk tore his tricep in the match with Moxley, so he was already going to be out, but they suspended him anyways, they suspended the Elite, they, they fired Ace Steele, they did an investigation, all this bullshit and nonsense, and then you fast forward a few months later, the Elite come back around November of 2022, and then there had been rumblings of, you know, Punk's on-again, off-again existence within AEW. Is he going to return? The Elite doesn't want him. Nobody really wants him in the locker room, but some guys are lobbying for him. They created a show called Collision so they could put him on there, kind of do a soft roster split. Punk got to pick some of his guys, allegedly, to be a part of the show, keeps him away from the Elite. They didn't want to reconcile, but, you know, can't keep up <laughs> just bullshit and drama pretty much um and i i said it in, in that labor day scrum last year tony khan needed first of all i said that it was a work okay and i was wrong all right i i'll gladly die on that sword i was wrong i thought this was a major work i thought the way things went down and some of the things that were reported and not reported and just how it all happened, I just thought there's no way that this, there's no way that Tony Khan is that irresponsible and not being able to take control of something like that. And that he let the inmates just kind of do whatever the fuck they wanted. And 
that's where I thought it was a work. And I was like, they gotta be working. Gotta be working. You know, I said it. And I'll gladly admit I was wrong. Um, did I want it to be a works? Kind of, yeah. I kind of did. I thought maybe that that would have kind of put a shot in the 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 create the the creative juices within AEW, and sometimes personal issues behind the scenes tend to translate well on camera. So I thought maybe there was going to be um, something like that occurring. Um, I said it then, and I'll say it now. Um, you know, all parties involved in that incident last year were wrong, okay? Punk should have never aired his grievances and embarrassed Tony Khan and put the company in the situation they did at that scrum. He should have went in private and talked like a man to these guys if he had any issues with them. It all stemmed from something that Hangman Page said in a promo, and he never confronted him about it personally. He just brought it to Tony Khan, who did nothing about it, and then he aired his grievances on TV and on social media in that scrum, Okay. If he was the, the veteran that people tried to make him out to be, he should have taken the high road and he should have pulled these guys aside in private and said, what's the deal? Like, we're all on the same team here. What's the issue? But instead, he fed into all that bullshit. And then he got himself worked up and it turned into an issue. Okay? And most importantly, and I'll, and I'll say this a few times, as, as this recording goes on, Tony Khan should have been the boss and nipped this all in the bud from day one. Okay. If this, you know, if, if, if this was a disruption in his company, he should have said, all right, listen, guys, regardless of the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega's job titles as executive vice presidents, they have a management role too. Okay. Which I think is a joke, but whatever. Okay? Regardless of their title, regardless of what carries with that title as a, in a management position, he should have sat them all down. He's the one that writes the checks at the end of the day and said, listen, I don't give a shit about your, 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 your beef. You're all going to work it out so that we can all make money together because I believe in all of you. And if you don't want to work it out, there's the fucking door. Get out of my company if you don't want to work it out. And do what's best for this company. And put your ego aside. That's what he should have done. From day one. But the problem with him. And I've said this on social media. To some of those AEW fans that don't like criticism. And there's quite a few of them out there. He should have been the boss. But he's too worried about what people think of him. He's too worried about what the diehard AEW fans He's so worried about their, their feelings towards him based on decisions that he makes. He wants to be everybody's friend. And he wants everybody to get along. Well, sometimes as a business owner, and I've never owned a business, but sometimes as a business owner, you have to make a hard decision. Sometimes you have to put your business before a friendship. Okay? And he didn't do that. Okay? So he let this bullshit carry on. And then they bring Punk back in the, earlier this summer and they create a show. They can, and they want to do a soft roster split, right? Also, that Punk can be separated from the elite guys. Now, allegedly, it had been out there in the peripheral wrestling media, the dirt sheets, that Punk wanted to reconcile with these guys. He wanted to do business with them. Make some money off of this, okay? 
which still at that time led me to believe that this was a work, okay? That if he wanted to capitalize off of this and put this on TV, that they were working, okay? And they created this show for him. And Punk goes out on TV. And once again, Punk being Punk has to kind of break the fourth wall and remind everybody, including those folks in the elite, when he made that counterfeit Bucks comment, that, you know, he's the one waving the big dick around there. And he doesn't need an EVP title to, to do that. And then he made some comments about Hangman Adam Page off the air about how he's a peg warmer because his action figures is always on the shelves. Nobody buys his action figures. And then there were stories and rumors out there that people that were associated with the elite were banned from attending the collision tapings, like Christopher Daniels, who works in talent relations, Matt Hardy, Nick Nemeth, and Hangman Adam Page, all not allowed in the same building as him. I don't know how true all that is. I'm not going to sit here and feed into that. But that was part of the drama that had been unfolding or had allegedly been unfolding according to the peripheral wrestling media. And so we get to All In and Punk and Joe are the first match out. I was out with my wife that day. We, were, we had a date day. Okay, It's been a while since we had done anything together fun like that because of our schedules so we had a date day and my brother um justin who's been on this podcast a few times he works for espn and he was actually watching part of working for espn his job title he has to like watch certain events and footage and things like that so he wasn't tasked with watching all in but the espn australia feed carries AEW programming. And so he got to watch All In from his his uh, his office. And I'm out with my wife, and I get a text message from him that says, PW Insider reports that Punk had an altercation with Jack Perry backstage before the show. And I'm like, okay, wow. Just what a clown show. Now, for those of you that aren't aware what happened between him and Jack Perry at All In and what led to that, well, allegedly... A few weeks prior, Jack Perry was to set to appear on Collision, on AEW Collision on Saturday nights. And Perry allegedly had wanted to... There was supposed to be a spot in a segment where they were going to use a rental car. And they were going to... It would be something to do with him and I forget who else. And Perry wanted to use real glass. And Punk, I guess, allegedly, according to the peripheral wrestling media, according to the dirt sheets, I don't know who reported it, whether it was PW Insider or The Torch or Meltzer or whoever. I don't remember. Um, I don't take notes like that. I just kind of paraphrase and give you the nuts and bolts. Uh, Punk stepped in and was like, we don't do that here. Allegedly. And Perry didn't really take too kindly to that. Now, a couple things from that. Number one. You know, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that CM Punk was trying to to show Perry some type of leadership role that he's looking out for the talent on this roster and trying to take that kind of leadership role that like, no, you don't have to do that. We don't do that here. Um, I'm just guessing. I don't know Punk's intentions behind 
stepping in like that. But on the other hand, I'm like, and Eric Bischoff said this on 83 Weeks. I was just listening to him and Conrad's uh, take on the CM Punk um, firing. And Bischoff said it best. Why didn't Punk just mind his fucking business? You know? I mean, on one hand, I get it. Maybe he was looking out for the kid. But on the other hand, if you want to let that kid mutilate himself, it's no skin off your back. You're not involved in the segment. You're not responsible for it. You don't write that kid's check. Let him fucking scar himself for life if he wants to use real glass in a spot in a, in a segment. You know what I mean? And Perry, what's what's the risk and versus the reward with when it when it when it comes to using real glass in a segment like that on on TV? The risk? Well, you could permanently injure yourself by maybe ripping a tendon or some muscles or whatever, depending on. The, the, the nature of the, the incident. And where's the reward? There is none. Okay? So, Perry getting all worked up because Punk stepped in and allegedly Perry had it approved by AEW management that he could use real glass, but Punk kind of put a nix to that. And then Perry didn't allegedly did not like how his... his reaction to it was perceived in the wrestling media he had felt allegedly that people from cm punk's camp portrayed him as like some young crybaby that didn't get his way on top of all the other stuff that had come out in recent weeks about people not being allowed in the building that punk was at at a collision taping it just kind of compounded all this animosity that had taken place so we fast forward to we fast forward to, um, oh, before I get to that, let me just make this one, you know, regarding the glass situation, okay? I know Punk was mainly on collision, and he might have worked like a dynamite when he returned, but it was like a quick run-in. Um, but for the most part, he was a collision guy, as they like to say. And I'm just wondering why Punk was so concerned about Perry using glass when all those guys, if he cares about the roster, why isn't he... Why isn't he going to guys like Moxley and 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 Kingston and all them other guys and saying like, why are you fucking mutilating yourself every week? Why are you why are you slicing your face up every week? It's not doing anything, you know. Maybe maybe I guess he he saw something in Perry and he didn't want Perry to kind of go down the same path as the others and that's why he didn't go after the veterans over it and just kind of targeted him, but. I don't know what Punk's intentions were. Like I said, I'm guessing he was probably just looking out for the kid and trying to show some leadership that, like, you don't have to do this. This isn't how we do things on on Saturdays sort of thing. That's just my guess. But at the same time, like I said, shut the fuck up. Let the fucking kid kill himself. It's not your fucking problem. It's his. You know? So now we fast forward to All In. And Punk, I guess took offense to something that Perry had said during his match on the the zero-hour kickoff show, whatever the fuck they call it. Uh, It was a a match with Hook for the FTW title. And I guess there was, I don't remember the exact stipulation, but there was some kind of no disqualification element to it where they fought in the aisle and they fought on top of an old English taxi. And 
before Perry had hood, hook on the hood, excuse me, easy for me to say, and he points to the camera, looks directly into the camera, knocks on the glass window of the, the car and says, real glass, cry me a river. And then he proceeds to put hook up in some kind of suplex fisherman buster and drops him on the glass. Makes a big noise, gets a little pop, whatever. So, allegedly, after that match, um, Punk was getting ready for his match, the opening match of the main card. And allegedly what's being reported is that he approached Perry and said, you got a problem? And Perry said, um, Perry had allegedly, you know, kind of mouthed off to him and said, what are you going to do about it? Uh, You know, I was just trying to get some heat. And Punk got in his face and allegedly Perry bumped him and then Punk sucker punched him and choked him. And then... It was all. It all took place in Gorilla right before they went out to the curtain, and Samoa Joe got involved. Allegedly, Punk was so fired up he told Tony Khan he was going to quit. Allegedly, he lunged at Tony Khan, um, and Samoa Joe apparently was the one that he was pretty pissed off, and he was the one that kind of convinced Punk, "No, we're going to go out there and we're going to fucking work and we're going to do this." Like, you're not ruining my opportunity. Apparently, it was so bad that Tony Khan went to um, uh, Kenny Omega and Bullet Club and asked those guys, hey, is there any way you can work the first match? And they said, no, we're not ready. And they, he, I guess he did the same thing to the Bucks and, and uh, FTR. And they said they weren't ready either. So it was that dire of a situation that... Um, Tony Khan thought Punk wasn't going to be wrestling. And this is minutes before they're going to go on the fucking air. Joe ends up convincing them to come back. They have a banger of a match. I hate using that term, but I just did. And that was the last we saw of CM Punk. It was announced at the end of the evening that him and Perry had been suspended pending an investigation. Now, when I heard that, I was like, I was like, what investigation? What do you need to investigate? You were sitting in fucking Gorilla when this shit allegedly happened. Who do you need to... What do you need to investigate? You were, you're the boss. You witnessed it. What kind of bullshit investigation you need to do? And... You know, the, the days go by and more news comes out that allegedly Punk had tried to set up a meeting with... The elite guys in Atlanta a few days prior, and they 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 didn't want to meet with him. He was looking to reconcile, but they didn't want any part of it. Um, and that app further added to his frustration. And allegedly, the car service um, there was a mix up with the car service when the talents were coming back from the you know were landing in London, um, and Punk had to take the train, and it kind of derailed him for a couple of hours before getting to the hotel. Um, I had heard that that wasn't exclusive to him. The other talents had travel issues when they arrived in London, getting to the building. And I put that on AEW as just poor planning. That's just my take on it. I, you know, you first time they ever work a big international show. Uh, they probably don't have a ton of contacts overseas to, to, to facilitate stuff like that. So I would imagine whatever service they used, maybe it was, fairly new to them and it just they just didn't you know sync up and things didn't work out the way they should have 
when it comes to stuff like that. Um, but a lot of people speculate, oh, they left Punk at the airport and the car service phone number they gave him was the wrong number and things like that. And I'm just like, I'm like, all right, that's really going down the rabbit hole. I don't, I don't have the energy to really play detective with that one. But um, I, I just chalked it up as maybe it was just poor planning on their part and there was some snafus with, and it happened to other people just other than Punk. So other talent had issues with it too, from what I had heard, from what I had read. Um, and then comes last Saturday, um, where it was announced via a press release from Tony Khan that he was firing Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, for cause stemming from a physical altercation. Now, it had been reported by Dave Meltzer that there was an independent source who was not a wrestler, who was a witness to the incident that revealed that CM Punk had sucker punched Jack Perry and he was the one to get physical first. Like I said, all week long there had been different versions of it. Either Perry initiated it physically by chest bumping Punk and then Punk punched him and put him in a choke or Punk got in his face and then he he put hands on first. There was all different kinds of accounts that made the rounds in the wrestling media uh, in the last week or so. um, Following all in that I didn't know or care what to believe. All I know is is that it was a fucking clown show and what took place behind the scenes essentially put a damper on the success of the event itself. Okay? And so a couple hours before collision, like I said, Khan announces that he's been fired and it was the hardest decision he had to make. I'll read, you know, I'll read the press release to you right now. It's it's that fucking silly. Okay, it is that fucking silly. I have it in a text message my brother had given me. He sent it to me while I was out with my wife. We were, uh, we're it wasn't a date day. We were running errands. But anyways, long story short, let's find it here. Where we go? Here we are. Oh, yep, here it is. Statement from All Elite Wrestling and Tony Khan. All Elite Wrestling has terminated the wrestler and employment agreements between Philip Brooks, in parentheses CM Punk, and AEW with cause effective immediately. The termination was confirmed today by Tony Khan, CEO, general manager, and head of creative of AEW. The termination follows a week-long internal investigation of an incident occurred backstage at AEW All-In in London on Sunday, August 27th. Following the investigation, the AEW Discipline Committee met and later convened with outside legal counsel before making a unanimous recommendation to Khan that CM Punk be terminated with cause. Khan followed, or offered the following statement. Phil played an important role within AEW, and I thank him for his contributions. The termination of his AEW contracts with cause is ultimately my decision and mine alone. Of course, I wish I didn't have to share this news, which may come as a disappointment to many of our fans. Nevertheless, I am making the decision in the best interest of many amazing people who make AEW possible every week. Our talent, staff, venue operators, and many others whose efforts are unsung but essential to bringing our fans great shows on television and in arenas and stadiums throughout the world. So, he puts out this press release. Clearly, they got him dead to rights that he did enough to cause a termination. Perry's still suspended indefinitely. And this is hours before they're supposed to host Collision in Chicago and All Out on Sunday. So, I thought, okay, he got in front of it. He announced it publicly. He finally 
showed some balls and did something to to show not only the wrestling world but his roster and the people that he pays that I'm not going to tolerate this shit anymore. Like this has gotten out of hand. Like I need to do something about it. <laughs> and then I'm on social. What was it Saturday night? So Saturday night, I'm watching the the WWE show Payback, um, and I'm on social media, and I see a video that surfaces of Tony Khan out on the stage at Collision in Chicago, playing Damage Control, and explaining to the live audience why he needs. He, he had to fire CM Punk. Now, mind you, I watched this video, okay? I saw it on social media, and then I saw the opening video that Tony Khan made a statement announcing the public termination of CM Punk to open collision. Allegedly, the video of him going out to the live crowd took place before the show went on the air. And then he makes this video that airs on television, which I found out later through somebody on social media that attended the show, that the video that aired on TV for us at home, they didn't show it in the building. And then this motherfucker comes out on stage looking for sympathy from the AEW fan base in Chicago, Punk's hometown. It's his city practically in the wrestling space. And he comes out and he explains his actions of firing him yet again. (laughs) I'm like, this dude just doesn't, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. He did enough by the press release. He don't got to answer to nobody. He made it clear in the press release that dropped hours before they went on the air. Then he puts out the video on the air on TV for all of us to see. Claims it's the most difficult decision he's ever had to make in his professional wrestling career. That's how he started the video. Okay? And then this dorky motherfucker says, I feared for my life. Okay? Now, I don't know the extent of what happened between Khan and Punk. I had heard multiple accounts that Punk had kind of lunged at him aggressively and told him he hates this place and he quits. I had heard that the altercation got so physical that in Gorilla that the monitors that Tony Khan and the other, the other uh, producers used to communicate with the commentators and with the production truck fell in their laps, like the TVs on the table fell in their laps, okay? I'm not going to sit here and question whether Tony Khan feared for his life, but at the same time, if this was the hard... If if you feared for your life, dude, if you feared for your life, if if you were so afraid of your well-being that you thought you were going to die... That's what you implied by saying, I feared for my life. Then it wouldn't have been that hard of a decision to make in firing the dude. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say 
what I would have done. But if I was in that position, in his position, and somebody came at me physically and, and, and implied that they were going to harm me just by their, by their body language, it'd be a no fucking brainer. You're not going to threaten my, threaten my existence. You're not going to threaten me physically and intimidate me and bully me. You're gone. It wouldn't be that hard of a decision. But yet again, like I said before, this dude cares about what people think of him based on how he runs his company. That's why he didn't discipline these fucking assholes last year when all this shit went down. Okay? Didn't discipline them at all. Bullshit, they gave him a suspension. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Okay? Punk was already heard he was going to be on the shelf anyways. Did you fucking dock his pay? Did you dock any of their pay? Probably not. Because you were probably afraid what they were going to think of you if you did. Fear for my fucking life. Are you kidding me? Okay, here's another point that was made to me in a conversation. Let's say this discipline committee, whoever the fuck they are, let's say this discipline committee had recommended that Punk keep his job. What are you going to do now? Especially if you feared for your life. Okay? Give me a fucking break. So, he puts this message out there. Not only does he put a press release out, but then he puts the video out that opens Collision that only allegedly airs for the folks on TV. The live crowd doesn't see it. That's because before they went on the air, he decided to give some dissertation about why he needed to fire Punk and that he is so sorry that it upset people. And, the, and if you watch the video, you can go Google it. The, 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 the crowd in Chicago is livid. They are not, they are not happy. Okay? And they have their reasons for it. You know, whatever. But they, won't, they hardly let him talk. There's one point, there's one video I saw where there was a girl... She was sitting behind the announcer's table, and so she took her phone and she zoomed in on the monitor, the announcer's desk, which showed Tony Khan, who was standing at the top of the stage, who was actually, actually, he sat down at one point. He put a chair on the stage and sat down and wanted to have this, like, heart-to-heart with the audience, like, to garner sympathy. You don't know what it's like to fear for your life, and the girl just, it's funny, because the girl in in the video who's, recording it she was like shut up you fucking pussy and I, I got a kick out of that because that's essentially what he was he was a big fucking pussy okay you're a fucking billionaire all right that is a huge wrestling fan and you you you've you've taken your money and your inheritance or whatever and you have built this company and you've for the most part you've given lots of talents an opportunity to work on a major stage Okay, and you've got a large reach. I'm not going to deny you. In the four-year period that you've been, that AEW's been in existence, they, they, they're they're making a mark on the industry. Um, and and I, I don't deny them that. But you can't even be the fucking boss. You had to go out there and like play damage control with the people and garner sympathy. And and and, and hopes that. 
the crowd would turn around and be like, okay, Tony, we understand why you, you had to fire our boy. Now, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that he fired Punk, okay? If they had cause, which is a legal, which is, is legal jargon, so it's a legal term, okay, which I'm sure legally Tony Khan had some representatives that wrote that statement for him when he put it on the air, okay? I, I personally feel, and, and this goes back to listening to the Eric Bischoff uh, 83 Weeks episode just earlier before I recorded this. And I, I kind of am in the same camp with Eric. I think Warner Discovery, Warner Media has some stock in AEW, some ownership stake. And I think that there was some, I think there was some discussions with, between Tony Khan and his legal representatives and, and Warner regarding the decision that needed to be made. Because I, I think if, had Tony Khan not done anything, knowing there's a history of Punk getting physically assaultive with other people on the roster, and had he not done anything and something worse happened, then Tony Khan and AEW would be putting Warner Warner Media in a big pickle on a legal end. They would they would probably get sued too. So I think it was more I, I think Tony Khan had um, you know, he says it was my decision alone. Like, okay, you may have made the announcement. You may have been the one to pick up the phone and be like, hey, Phil, I'm really sorry, but I have to let you go based on cause from what you did to Jack and fearing for my life. You may have been the one to make the fucking phone call, okay? But you were directed to make that call from some people. That's just my take, okay? That's just my opinion. Someone told you to make that phone call. Someone told you that this needed to happen. And I commend you for it. Now, I still think it was fucking pathetic that he had to explain himself not once, not twice, but three times in the span of several hours on many different platforms. A press release, a videotape, a video recorded message, and then live and in person to the audience. Now, some people say, well, he was just getting ahead of everything, you know, as the boss. And I could respect that. He's getting ahead. But at the same time, look what you did with that announcement, okay? Yeah, there were people probably expecting to see him. But at the same time, you had already suspended him earlier in the week. So I'm pretty sure most of those fans knew that there was no chance Punk was appearing uh, on, on any of the shows being held in Chicago, Dynamite, Collision, or All Out. Pretty sure they got that hint when you suspended him and indicated, implied that he wouldn't be a part of the festivities in Chicago. I think you even, I think Tony kind of even implied that. But by making that announcement, you potentially kind of took away from the, the events of that weekend and the performers that are competing on that show. You know? Could he have waited till Monday morning, Labor Day, to make the announcement? 
Sure, he could have. Absolutely. I think that would have been a better option than creating and, and causing a buzz and creating issues for the talents that were going to be working on those subsequent events following the news. All right? Kind of taking away from them. I mean, any way you slice it, it's probably it probably would have been criticized whether he made the announcement before or after. Okay, my feeling, I think he should have waited. Don't don't distract the audience from the events that are taking place. Okay, that's just me personally. All right, um, but I think he was just a big fucking baby about it. A big fucking baby about it. Like, come on, dude. Come on, be a man, grow some balls. All right, you fired him, but do you need to go out there and play damage control on multiple platforms So, in hopes that the audience is like, yeah, we understand. It's okay, Tony. We'll still watch your TV show. No, he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do any of that bullshit. But he did it. And it was so cringe, and it just made me like, I was embarrassed for him. It was fucking pathetic. It was fucking pathetic. My goodness. And at the end of the day, firing him, okay, you may have eliminated one part of this problem. But the other part of this problem is still employed in your company. Jack Perry, okay, which I like Jungle Boy, okay? I I dig Jungle Boy. And, you know, I hope he learns his lesson from this. I don't want to see the kid get fired, all right? But I hope he learns his lesson from it. Um, and then the elite, Young Bucks and, and uh, uh, Kenny Omega, who were involved in the physical altercation last year with him. They're st- they still hold titles as executive vice presidents. They hold a management position on top of being talent. Okay, and this is what I don't like about this situation. Okay. Punk was the the decider of his own demise. He decided that this was what he was going to do. Instead of being the better person, maybe pulling that kid aside and talking to him, okay? Right before the biggest show of the year, you could have fucking waited, all right? He did this to himself. Do I understand his frustrations if he had been making efforts to try and reconcile with these guys and they just didn't want any part of it? And, and along the way, you know, they, they kind of threw it in his face. Yeah, I would understand that. But he was no fucking angel either. Okay? The shit, the, the shit he said in the ESPN interview, the shit he said on the debut episode of Collision, and then the things he said about Hangman after the fact. Like, he's done it to himself. Everybody is at fault in some form or fashion for the toxicity of this incident that's been going on for a year. Every single one of them. And Tony Khan, like I said, is the one that's probably at fault the most because the the, the the buck stops with him. Okay? But what kills me more than anything about this right now is the fact that this problem isn't going to just go away just because they fired Punk either. Okay? You could fire Punk. You keep Perry suspended for another couple of months, whatever. Dock his pay. I'm not saying starve the kid, but, but you've got... Omega and the Bucks, 
who recently put out a video on their Being the Elite YouTube show, which is not associated with AEW. It's a completely separate entity. Where, in a very tongue-in-cheek manner, they kind of mock CM Punk in certain ways with their very passive-aggressive innuendos um, in their form of storytelling. Um, And I had, like, I wouldn't say a... I had a passionate discussion with a couple of people on social media uh, regarding that. And I feel that unless Tony does something to kind of rein them in and maybe keep them in check, this problem is going to continue. It won't just happen with Punk. Other guys might have issues with them. And I'm not saying they're the root of it, but like maybe they should lose their executive vice president titles. I don't even know what their job entails in that. I don't know if they, what, what type of duties they have in that management position. I really don't. So I can't sit here and fully say that, you know, what they do as far as a management. But they represent themselves as management. Okay, publicly they, 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 they talk about themselves as EVPs. They represent the company in, with those job titles. People can say it's a joke and it's probably for show, and maybe it is. But the fact that you present yourselves as that on top of being talents on the show, mocking in a very passive-aggressive manner CM Punk in one of your little YouTube shows so you can pop the Hot Topic crowd with your inside jokes. Like, how professional is that? It's not. It's unprofessional. You know, one guy I was talking to in particular, he said, he goes, oh, I get it. So you want them to stay in their lane. So it's either their EVPs or their wrestlers. But either way, they do whatever they want. I was like, they can be both and still be professional. They don't have to comment. They don't have to make light of the situation. You know, I guess Kenny Omega in the video was drinking a Pepsi and um, said that Pepsi sucked or whatever. And it's in reference to Punk having a Pepsi tattoo on his shoulder. And I think the Bucks made some like off-color comments that were kind of like, tongue-in-cheek directed at Punk. Um, I didn't watch the whole video. I just saw little clips of it. Um, But that kind of behavior, I can see why there's frustration. And the fact that Tony allows it, even though though being the elite is is not an AEW property, um, it's certainly... Um, they certainly represent themselves. Everybody knows who they are. You know, they know that they're exec- you know, fans who watch AEW and watch being the elite, they know that, the, that those three guys represent that company. They know that those three guys are executive vice presidents with their title. Okay? How professional is that? It's not. It's not. It's not a hard concept either for them to just move on with this. Okay? You didn't want to reconcile with him. You didn't want to bury the hatchet with him. He's now gone from the company. Move on. Set an example. They should have set an example a year ago when there was talk of a reconciliation that that Punk had reached out to them. They wanted no part of it. Allegedly, attorneys intervened and said you're to make no contact with them regarding anything. They don't want to speak to you. That's according to Punk's camp. Those guys are the executive vice presidents by title, all right? 
they hold a management position on top of being, um, you know, talents, on-screen talents. And you mean to tell me that they couldn't put their pride and their egos aside to set an example for the rest of the roster as executives and try to bury this thing with him? Give me a break. It's a fucking joke. At the end of the day, this shit's going to keep on happening. If poor little Tony doesn't grow some fucking balls and put these guys in their place and let everybody know that works for him that this shit will not be tolerated. It will not ruin our company. It will not affect our growth as an organization. That's what he should be doing. Just because he fired Punk doesn't mean he had a real set of balls. Okay, he pulled the trigger. But this is still going to be an issue. I, I promise you that. It's still going to be an issue. Now, where do we go from here? Um, Punk. You know, the rumor mill, of course. The first thing everybody says is, well, when's he coming back to WWE? And then the stories come out, Right. Now, all of a sudden, there's a story that came out after Punk got fired that last year, Punk had a verbal altercation with William Regal when William Regal was working with AEW, and Punk called him a stooge and said he was a stooge for Triple H, and he didn't like him, he didn't trust him, and all this other stuff. I find it convenient, the timing of all this. Now, this story just happens to come out, right? Punk gets fired, and then all of a sudden, everybody kind of dumps on him. And I'm no CM Punk fan. I've been very critical of him on this podcast and in other platforms. I think he's an asshole. I think he's a hypocrite. I think he's selfish. I think he's a big crybaby. Okay? I do. And I think he, he contributed to the toxicity of this and he did this to himself. Okay? But the story's coming out. I don't know what to trust. I don't know what to believe. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I'm not playing detective. But if, if it's true that he had approached Regal that way and kind of got in his face then dude dude needs dude needs help like mental health serious help like to be so angry all the time to handle yourself the way you did physically by being assaultive all the time like he certainly knew not to do that shit when he worked for Vince McMahon okay cuz he knew that shit wasn't going to fly he knew that Mickey Mark Tony Khan was a rich kid that just happened to own a wrestling company and it's probably got the same type of personality as all the guys that fucking buy those overpriced t-shirts for ProWrestlingTees.com. Okay? So he knew he can get away with that shit there. Couldn't do it when he was working with Vince. And that's the other thing too. Oh, a story came out that allegedly he had reached out last year to WWE and pitched an idea about him coming back and working with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. I don't know how true that is, okay? I don't dismiss it, but I don't rule it out either. Um, I know a story came out that back in the summer, right before he debuted on Collision, or returned on Collision, that he stopped by Raw in Chicago and kind of made amends with some of the guys backstage, one of them being Triple H. And that it was a very brief conversation. They kind of buried some things. And then it was made clear to Punk that Vince McMahon had asked for him to leave, that he wasn't allowed to be in the building. And Punk was escorted back. And me personally, I think that was Punk just waving his dick, like letting Tony Khan know that, like, 
I don't care. I'll go to the other team while I'm under contract for you and make waves. That's that's my personal belief. Did he go there with the sole intention of, of burying the hatchet with some of those guys? Not completely. I think part of that, there's some truth to it, but I think for the most part, that was a chess move on his part. I'm going to go to Monday Night Raw, visit some of the guys. It's going to make the news, break the internet, and I'm going to show these guys not to fuck with me. Because allegedly there had been some issues regarding Punk trying to reconcile with the elite and Tony Khan and right before his collision debut. And then there was something that had to do with Punk's friend Ace Steel who was fired, but then he was rehired. But then he was told, oh, you can only work from home as a consultant. You can't be on the road. And there was all kinds of crazy bullshit surrounding that. So um, Punk going to WWE, if he doesn't go, I'm not, I'm not upset about it whatsoever. I'm really not. Um, are there a couple of money matches he could have that I wouldn't mind seeing? Sure. Him and Roman Reigns, of course, would be a huge match. Him and Cody, I think, would be good. Him and Rollins. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to him running it back with Brock either. Okay? You know, I don't think he would have a full-time run. I think he would be like a... I think he would have a Brock Lesnar schedule. If he were to come back. Um... So we shall see. I'm not like clamoring for it. Um, I'm not going to, you know, fantasy book and hope and pray that he's the number 30th entrant in the Royal Rumble because I'm sure now his name is in the Royal Rumble betting odds. It happens every year. He somehow manages to, you know, since he left in 2014 in WWE, he's managed to still be part of the betting odds in Vegas with the odds makers for a spot in the Royal Rumble. So um, wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Um, but yeah, the stories that have been coming out lately about him regarding, um, his interest in returning to WWE, or he wants to make it appear like he's interested in returning to WWE, but WWE might not have any interest in him. I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be, you know, losing sleep over it. Um, the guy did it to himself. He burned so many, he's the guy that burns bridges and will stand on the bridge while he's burning it. And he's proudly proclaimed that. Bites his nose off to spite his face. Um, but I don't put it past him to try to angle for a return to make some big money and go out on his own terms. Because I'm sure he doesn't want to leave the business like this. So um, we, shall sh- we shall see what happens with him um, in the very near future. And hopefully following this, not only just for him, but for AEW, that they can move on and try to create good programming and, you know, um, I didn't watch all out, but I had heard that the the there had been a few matches that really stood out, and they kind of really um, the the talents worked really hard and made up for the fact that Punk was gone. Uh, Brian Danielson, Ricky Starks, I heard had a hell of a strap match. I'm gonna go out of my way to watch that match. Nice little coup on on AEW's part to get Danielson to work that show so quickly after he broke his arm uh, just a couple of months ago at. at uh, the, the match with Okada for um, uh, the Forbidden Door show. Uh, I didn't expect to see him back, but that was a nice little coup. I heard uh, Orange Cassidy and John Moxley had a hell of a match. I'm not really big on them, um, either of them personally, but I'll go out of my way to watch that match. And then the MJF Samoa Joe kind of pull apart after the match, with the tag match with Adam Cole. Uh, I heard that 
I heard overall AEW really put in a, a strong effort for All Out, despite the controversy surrounding the the week prior with Punk and Wem- the Wembley show with Perry and all that stuff. So um, I think the best move for them to make now, not on a creative level, but on a business level, is for Tony Khan to... He's wearing a lot of hats, okay? I mean, the job title, what was he? Uh, head of creative, general manager, owner, CEO, whatever. Like, he carries all those job titles. Like, that's how he introduces himself, which is crazy to me, okay? Um, but, you know, he's booking all the AEW shows. He books the Ring of Honor show. Um, I'm sure he gets a little bit of help, but for the most part, like, it's mainly coming from him. I find some find get, create more of a structure within your creative and create more of a structure within your talent roster when it comes to like administration you know i guess christopher daniels is a part of talent relations but they need somebody that's going to be able to kind of be the as kevin nash put it in his podcast the heater somebody that can kind of set these guys straight you know jim ross and johnny ace were both very um, experienced in that department through their time in WWE. And Ross has recounted many stories on this podcast where he's talked about how um, he wasn't the most popular guy for the decision he made, for the decisions that he made, but he did that because he was looking out for the best interest of the organization. And I think they need to find somebody in a talent relations role that can hold these guys' feet to the fire. I really do. I, I think I think Tony Khan's wearing too many hats and he's he's... He's focusing on so many things that he is he he's losing control of other things. And I think someone in a talent relations role and maybe a little bit more of a creative structure can kind of take some of the weight off of him in that regard. And maybe he's working on that. Maybe he's in the process of doing that. I don't know. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole and play detective as well. But hopefully that's something that they entertain and something that they will implement more. They really need to bounce back, I feel like, because in the last year, because of the behind-the-scenes drama, it has created issues with their creative, and um, the shows have suffered. Um, there's been some good shows, and then there's been some shows that just downright sucked. Um, and I think a lot of the, the, the behind-the-scenes drama has really clouded what we've seen on camera and taken away from a lot of the talents that work really hard uh, for that company. So. Hopefully we get more of a, uh, a structure on a creative and administrative level for, for AEW moving forward. And hopefully CM Punk can find some fucking peace in his life. You know, let's just hope that everybody moves forward, learns a lesson from all this. And one thing you do, sh- you should, as fans, we should learn never to trust everything that's out there in the wrestling media when it comes to this, okay? Because there's people that are in the camp of the elite. There's people in the camp of punk. And people have different narratives and different stories that they want to tell. And it seems like it's a wrestling media war. Um, so take everything with a grain of salt. Come up with your own conclusions based on um, real facts. And uh, just be a fan. A wrestling fan. Enjoy the shows. You know, Watch them. Don't worry about what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and that's that. Um, thank you all for, uh, for pressing play, hitting downloads, like, rate, and subscribe, and doing all that jazz with me here uh, on the While We Were Away episode of Kicking Out at Two. Uh, look, you know, look, look forward to recording some more content in the next couple of weeks for the month of September. I mentioned on social media I'd like to do like a September kind of theme where it's like the worst of the worst in wrestling. So like the shittiest matches or the shittiest shows or... 
Um, I was thinking about maybe doing like the worst debuts in wrestling history. And then Dennis, I was going to have him pick a wild card of either the worst match he's ever watched or the worst pay-per-view he's ever watched. And we'll watch it um, uh, with all of you here on this podcast. So be on the lookout for some more content coming up in the month of September. Again, thank you all. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, really good to chat and discuss you know, what took place in the wrestling world. We'll get back to that retro format as we uh, close out the, the, the latter part of 2023 here on Kicking Out at 2. Don't forget, Retromania, search Retromania with a W. You'll find this show, other great shows, all content over there on Podbean or any other podcast platform provided by searching Retromania with a W. All right. It's about that time that we officially put this one down for the three count. We're not going to do any press releases, okay? We're not going to do any video recorded comments, all right? I'm not going to go out in front of the live audience and tell everybody why I'm ending the show. I'm just going to do it right now. We'll see you all next time.